Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. This is going to be about crypto entrepreneurship. We've had great episodes about cryptocurrency. We've had really great episodes about blockchain. And today, we are going to, in a way, sort of put those two things together, looking at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. About once every few months, we like to have a good conversation on Business Creators Radio about crypto, about blockchain, because these are things that are becoming more and more relevant in the environment of business, no matter what industry you're in. And what's really great about them also is that they are gradually becoming more mainstream. I remember when I first heard about this stuff, uh, it was like, what is this, like Monopoly money? Uh, is the Monopoly, Monopoly man going to come give me $200 with a big B on it that's shaped like a dollar sign? No, 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 no. This is something that we need to really have an understanding of, regardless of whether we're accepting it or utilizing it in our business right now, as you may find yourself in a situation to do so or an opportunity to do so in the very near future. So we are going to get real about crypto entrepreneurship, and our guest for today is a gentleman I'm very excited to introduce you to, which I will in just a moment. His name is Dennis Lewis. He is the founder of a couple of different companies. Uh, he has a couple great websites, um, icosuccess.com. I'm going to ask him what that means. And he's also the founder of the Crypto Trader News website. He's a seasoned digital storyteller and blockchain marketing specialist with a proven track record in both Europe and the United States. In fact, the Business Creators Radio Show is even more international. We've had guests from coming in from the rainforest of Colombia. We had somebody at the airport in Tel Aviv, Israel. You could hear the jets flying over his head while he was sharing with us. Today, we have somebody coming from Spain, and he has successfully led to market and exited multiple startup companies and prides himself on his ability to make complex projects easy to understand and relatable. Really great thing to know, especially because this blockchain and crypto stuff can get a little confusing if it's your first time hearing about it. In a marketing landscape increasingly obsessed with shiny objects and overly complicated sales funnels, Dennis still believes that the key to any successful marketing campaign are the words on the page, a man after my own heart. On that note, Dennis Lewis, come on in, the weather's fine. Hey, thank you very much, Adam. It's a real pleasure to be on your show today. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Oh, we're going to have fun. Now, we, I know you have a number of things to share with us here, and I have a couple questions for you. Uh, we are going to mention that ICO thing, which I thought was interesting when you told me about it in the green room. Before we get into that, uh, what we want to do is we want to get to know a little bit more about Dennis Lewis, the man. I read off your official bio. Uh, it's so impressive. I'm not sure I belong here, and it's my show. Uh, so tell us a bit about your journey uh, through your entrepreneurial journey rather, and how it's brought you to where you are 
serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community market and audience. Wow, that's great. Thank you. Uh, I know. Look, I, my journey is it's it starts way back in the deserts of of New Mexico. I was born in a little town close to Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, you know, that's where the the aliens crashed. And uh, so anything weird that I say, it's probably because my antennas have gotten crossed up there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think what I got from those aliens was it was a kind of a knack at taking things that are complicated and, and sometimes hard to understand and translating them into words that people, normal people like me can kind of stick in our heads and figure out what they mean. And I've been doing that my whole career. I've, you know, ever since, uh, you know, 35, 40 years ago, that's kind of been the, the, one of the key things that I've, I've been relatively good at. It served me well. Um, and, and, I've, and I've just been building on the idea that, you know, the 20th century was all about big corporations and global organizations and, you know, it was about big scaling, big things to be competitive. And this century is all about the opposite. It's all about being able to be small and agile and compete with those big companies and big organizations and win. And I, I'm passionate about that. I, I love that thought, that, uh, that idea that, that any entrepreneur can, can, you know, compete and win against big organizations. Uh, and blockchain and crypto are just one technology that really makes that even easier to happen. So uh, that's kind of my, uh, in a nutshell, you know, what, what drives me and makes me, uh, you know, happy to be here and talking with you today. I think that's fantastic. And especially in the environment of business today, the idea of companies being lean and agile, which are terms we commonly see in the change management field, are very important. And I agree that using cryptocurrency and blockchain technologies is a fantastic way to do that. I entered entrepreneurship right after the turn of the millennium. So I sort of had a front row seat and was even in the stage production for a minute on this big transition we saw where, for lack of a better phrase, we we're sort of heading back towards the idea of the cottage industry. You are correct that in the 20th century, it was about amalgamation, large companies. And when I first got into the act, I felt myself under a certain amount of pressure to make my company look bigger than it was. You know what I'm referring to? Oh yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember that, and I, I, uh-huh. I I'll confess to have tried that in, in a few a few times uh, and learned my lessons. Uh, so yeah. Here's an now here's an interesting shift that I've noticed, particularly over the past couple of years. Now I want to see if this is something that's occurred to you. I've seen it to the point where now. I deal with a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations that have very much a human figurehead, but it's gotten to the point where it's actually assumed that they are a figurehead and they have some sort of team or some sort of organization, and it could potentially be a technological organization, maybe even a software behind them that they are, for lack of a better phrase, fronting for. So I, lately, I've found it hard to believe there really are many solopreneurs left. I also have noticed a trend where you have companies, uh, smaller companies in similar industries that will form 
unofficial alliances where effectively if you're doing business with one of them, you're actually doing business with all of them. It doesn't matter which portal you come in through, they have an alliance and they work together. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, that's, that's part of one of the secrets to being able to compete with these big, you know, uh, faceless corporations. And, and, you know, look at, look at, you know, we, you know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, big corporations are still very powerful in the world. And, and you look at Facebook, and you look at Twitter, and you look at all these, you know, newer uh, social media companies as well. And, and, and it makes you think that you've got to be huge and scale to these sizes. And I think that we're all sort of starting to realize that, you know, it's not all that, uh, you know, it's not all that rosy. I mean, you know, how much good are these big corporations actually doing for, for, you know, real people in the real world and, um, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrencies are helping to empower smaller groups and smaller organizations do exactly what you're saying, band together, uh, sometimes, you know, consciously and sometimes even distributed without even knowing it. And they're able to collaborate, uh, you know, using decentralized technology and be competitive and solve real problems for real people. And I think that is, you know, in the end, business is all about solving problems and making things better for, for real people. Yeah, I agree with all that. Now, I see our conversation as being a multifaceted time together where we're going to cover a number of different topics. Some of this is actually going to be driven by questions from the audience. Uh, so we had some people who heard you're going to be on Business Creators Radio Show who were very curious about the crypto and the blockchain and can never seem to get enough of the information, which is why we like to cycle these topics in every so often. I think it's fantastic. And what you've done is you have introduced one or two new phrases into the conversation. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to start broadly by defining a term or two, and then we're going to bring it in and narrow the focus a bit. And I have a number of questions that are related to this topic that we'll work in as we go along. So there's two things I need to define first. First of all, I need to hear the Dennis Lewis definition of a cryptopreneur. Okay, so a cryptopreneur, and uh, that comes from the title of my book, Behold the Cryptopreneurs, uh -huh. is, a, is an entrepreneur that in some way, shape, or form leverages the power of blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, in their business model to be more competitive and to, you know, make that problem solving more efficient and thus more profitable, uh, you know, as a business. So, you know, and, it, and there, that could be from just a tiny bit of, of blockchain to, you know, a, a completely blockchain crypto centric idea. I mean, you know, so uh, it, it's a broad term, but it's a term about using this amazing, remarkable technology to actually create businesses that solve real world problems that help people, you know, in the, in the, you know, solve their, you know, whatever it is, it could be delivering a pizza better, or it could be, you know, curing cancer. Right. That's good. Uh, the next thing is I mentioned when we were first introducing you something called ICO. And again, we're starting just by defining our terms. So as a pop up in the rest of our conversation, we know what they are. Uh, you, what is a distributed ICO and why is that important? I know it may, that may be slightly out of order. That's okay. That's great. So an ICO, uh, you know, in, in 
There was a boom in 2017 of a, of a phenomenon called the ICO, which is the initial coin offering. And basically, it's a way to fundraise for a, a project by creating a new cryptocurrency and allowing people to purchase it and using those funds that, that come in from buying these, these cryptocurrencies, these tokens, as they're called, uh, to actually build the project and deliver on, on the promises. And, and to give you an idea of the scale of what ICOs were in 2017, uh, more money was raised through ICOs for startup projects than through venture capital. That's how big it was. Yeah. Um, it, 2018, it kind of crashed because there were a lot of problems. There were a lot of uh, projects that, you know, raised way too much money very quickly and, uh, and they kind of just were flashes in the pan and they, some of them were scams. Some of them were just not capable of actually building what they wanted to, what they had promised. And since then, you know, things have stabilized. They've come back down. The model is still very interesting. Uh, but in the book, I, I propose something that's called a distributed ICO, which is a way of doing that that aligns the interests of the project founders with the people that are, you know, purchasing the tokens, the quote unquote investors. And by spreading it out over time and connecting, you know, the 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 pricing and the and the availability of these tokens to actually delivering on the promises uh it, it's a way of uh of allowing projects that don't have access or easy access to capital to actually get off the ground and build things that are useful and helpful and that's what a distributed ico does and uh, it solves a lot of the problems that you know, we witnessed firsthand on the inside of, of quite a few projects during that big boom and bust sort of cycle. Okay. Uh, I've learned something from the day. We have to end this episode now because I'm done because I learned my lesson for the day. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I had never heard the term ICO, initial cash offering. I think a lot of us have heard of an IPO, an initial public offering, when private company mm -hmm. goes public. So basically what you just described for us, and I do encourage our listeners to subscribe to the Business Creators Radio Show on your favorite streaming platform so you can go back and review this as often as necessary, that you can actually take a similar model and apply it to cryptocurrency, an initial coin offering. I love That's that idea. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that is exactly, it's, it's very similar. It was, in 2017, it was almost a Wild West sort of, feeling it was it was crazy it was really a big wave we raised it we helped raise a lot of money for some for for quite a few projects um we learned a lot of lessons along the way uh and we discovered that there really is true potential here but there it, it is it does need to be done in a safe and sort of organized you know way it it, it shouldn't be you know quite as uh wild and and un regulated as it was perhaps at the beginning, but that's how beginnings are. And, yeah. you know, hey, there have been people that made huge fortunes off of this and, and hats off to them. Uh, there have also been a lot of people that, you know, probably uh, lost a lot of uh, money that probably came really quickly as well. So, uh, you know, a little, bit of, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, uh, like everything, you know, don't, this isn't for, for grandma who's investing, you know, their, her, her pension money. That's not what should be happening here. But uh, it is a way of, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're 
you've got an amazing idea and you don't know anybody from the VC world. And, and Adam, you know, just like I do that, you know, that world is kind of a gentleman's club where it matters more who you know than probably yeah. anything else. This is an alternative way to get your project funded and get it off the ground. It's not, it's not easy. It's not simple, but nothing in life that's worthwhile is. Uh, but it is a, you know, it is a very valid model. And uh, the distributed ICO that we describe in, 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 in the book is, is even more detailed and kind of gives an idea of how to do it. So many red buttons in front of me in so many different places I could take uh, take this conversation from here. Uh, our listeners know that they are guaranteed uh, me, well, I don't know, spazzing out, dropping an F-bomb or something, at least one episode. Uh, and I think this is now right, right about where I'm going to do it. So drum roll, here it comes. I think what's really great about what you've described is it basically – takes the fight to these elitist assholes who think that they can cut off the small business person through onerous processes that deny them access to capital and stands out on its head. And I speak on that, and I've covered this in other episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show, these, these uh, banks that will come up with ridiculous processes that really you're just boiled down to denying small business owners any capital at all. I remember yeah. before 2008, my first few years in entrepreneurship, I had, I, I, then as now, I had a home office. I had officers from banks showing up at my home unannounced with pre-filled out paperwork asking me how much money I wanted for a small business loan. Now, <laughs> then, uh, I, so, I, so I took a couple out and I paid them all off right on time. Then I turned around and thought, okay, well, you know, between me taking out the loan and now we did go through the Great Recession, I wouldn't mind another debt consolidation loan. I was treated like I literally asked them to murder their firstborn. Yeah, Actually treated yeah. like a criminal because I had the temerity to ask. Uh, and I found, and one of the tactics I experienced is they would just ask a whole bunch of stupid questions to the point where you're supposed to give up on it. And one of the questions I got, and this is about a business loan, is they wanted to know why I had a student loan. Bear in mind, I was, what, about 37 at the time. How many 37-year-olds do you know have student loans? <laughs> yeah. All of them, okay? <laughs> so I, I thought they were joking. They actually demanded a detailed written explanation as to why I had a student loan. So at this point in the process, after their insinuations, their insults, they're treating me like I'm a criminal for having, for actually asking to borrow money from an institution that lends people money. I said, well, you know, like many people, I went to college and you know how it is with textbooks. So I took out a student loan to get seed capital for the meth lab I used to pay my tuition from the proceeds of. And uh, <laughs> they, they had three people call me to, to, to go off about how they didn't think that was funny. It's like, well, I don't think you're very, I don't think you're very funny either. I think you're a bunch of freaking morons. So, one group of scammers talking about another scam, right? I mean, the, pretty the, much. Let's, let's talk about that. Pretty the, much. You know, the, and 
the, the education scam versus the financing scam. And, yeah, so. and then they ask us <laughs> questions that, you know, real, real world entrepreneurs, we, we, we just kind of look the other way and we say, yep, that's what it is. This, that's yeah. exactly what happened. Well, and, I, and, I, and part of what happened there, and I saw what was going on and I played into it because at this point I was so irritated with these morons that uh, I decided just to have some fun with them. I, I knew that if I gave an answer like that, which – uh, I, most people in the entrepreneurial space would laugh at and think is funny. They were ready to take at face value me confessing to having run a meth lab. <laughs> and, and, and it's like it's like maybe you, you a record, maybe, said, and with this loan, I'm going to make three more bigger ones. Oh, I could have done that. I, I I absolutely could have done that, Dennis. You're you're right about that. Uh, I just wanted to illustrate asking me why I have a personal student loan and a conversation about a business loan, first of all, that's telling you something right there. Uh, that, 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 was a, that was a not even thinly disguised attempt to pierce the corporate veil, first off. And second, you're going to just tie up the process with a question like, why do you have a student loan? You're asking a 37-year-old person why they have a student loan. <laughs> Come on! The average person... The average person taking out a student loan today might get it paid off by the time they retire if they do. Yeah. That's so so why why do you have that that's that's like that's like asking people why they stop at red lights. <laughs> that 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 would, that would be like if I asked my cat why she has whiskers. Goodness gracious. <laughs> and as our listeners yeah. and as our listeners know. I take the real stories that I hear and I turn them into things that we can all have a good laugh about. And sometimes I do things a little bit for shock values, I disclose, and a few folks have failed to understand it and thought I was either um, inappropriate or not funny. So that's why I add the disclaimers about how we did research with our audience, and we really did do this, by the way, that indicates that the majority of our listeners consume the Business Creators Radio Show while streaming it in the background doing something else. So I create these moments to cause people to break out of their white line fever hypnosis, which is a topic I cover in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, that causes the background noise to sound like the teacher from Peanuts. So when I rail against these asshole morons that ask people questions like, why do you have a student loan? It's meant to get you to sit up and say, wow, there may be something here that I can discover that I can apply to my business today that will move me forward and help me serve from my intersection of my brilliance and my passion. There's the disclaimer. Yeah, classic pattern interrupt. Yes, pattern interrupt. And I bring that up and I brought it up in the and the tonality that I did, because I just want to emphasize that what we're doing here, I think, is sort of um, rebellion. We're saying that we have another way of doing things, that we don't feel ourselves bound to some criteria that we have no participation in, that rates us as being more or less valuable based on whether somebody feels we should belong to some club. That being said, and probably for partially that reason, there's this perception that scammers are the second biggest problem in crypto, as you've pointed out. So this is the direction we're going to go from your last share. And I said we have three different directions to go from it. This is one of them. What is this? Well, what is going on with this big perception about scammers to this day? 
Well, you know, scammers are real and that's, that's part of it. And I kind of alluded to that with the Wild West sort of metaphor we talked about. But I always say they're the second biggest problem because the really the biggest problem in, in crypto and blockchain is that um, the industry hasn't focused enough on solving real problems and, and using real entrepreneurial skills. Instead, it's all about technology and it's all about, you know, can I make my blockchain a little bit faster than yours or can I make my smart contract language, you know, better than the other one or, or my consensus algorithm and we could talk all day about these things. But what we really need to be doing is talking about how do we use this technology to make healthcare better? How do we use this technology to make us less dependent on the post office and be able to do elections that are fair and, and, and there's no fraud? How do we use this technology to make supply chains more efficient? You know, how do we use these amazing abilities that, that, that this technology gives us to, to actually tackle big problems and that, that matter and make a difference? And that's why I think that you know, using real world entrepreneurial skills that leverage this uh, technology, becoming cryptopreneurs is the key to actually making this go mainstream and being much bigger than it is. And, and I don't even think, probably most of your audience doesn't even realize how big this already is. I'm not even sure how big it really is. And you know, I, up until you, what you just said, I didn't even think of using blockchain uh, as far as our elections. I mean, I, I mean, I keep up with that stuff about this uh, absentee voting and mail-in voting and in-person voting. And I think there are many fine people on all sides of the issue. Uh, I cannot get past, however, uh, all the verified stories that I see about one individual voter getting four ballots they can mail in or ballots being mailed to dead people. Hey, when I was a kid, uh, I, you know, I, my grandfather died when I was four years old. And it seemed like every four years on a leap year, he would suddenly start getting mail again. What do you think was going on? But I, I think that the, the reality is that it doesn't matter. You can send 45 ballots out. The, the, the question is how many come back and, and, and only one can come back because they do. You know, really? They are, yeah, because they, you, you have to, they're cross, they're cross reference. So you could send 50 ballots out, but only one is going to get counted. But going back, we're, we're, po we're, po we're, po we're, po we're positive of that. We're positive of that. And, I, and again, I don't want this to go down the, uh, the, the rabbit hole of how we run the elections. So let me get to the point here is for the many people who are concerned about election fraud and about technicalities being used to exclude ballots. For example, you also hear the stories of people who say, yeah, I put the postage on, I put it in the mail in time, I had the postmark on it on time, and my ballot got thrown out because it took the post office an extra day for it to get there, so it missed the deadline. Uh, you, yeah. I, I read this. I've, I've seen three stories about that in the past week, three different places, three different instances. Uh, this is something that uh, people have a lot of concern about. So my question yeah, is, and, and again, and since you blockchain technology it, could very yeah. much make that streamline this process whereby. Yeah, how could you know, they do it? Well, you know, I guess you, to, to, to give you in a nutshell, a blockchain isn't anything other than a database that is simultaneously maintained by literally thousands and thousands of computers uh, distributed all around the world at the same time. 
Yeah. So it makes it unhackable. It makes it, you know, the only, there is, once, a, once a transaction or a, a record is written into that database, it can't be manipulated it, because you would have to manipulate simultaneously, literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of computers at the same time. So yeah. it makes it very, very secure and it makes it very, very robust. And um, those two factors are exactly what you want to have when you're recording things that are, you know, precious, like uh, medical records or, or votes. Uh, yeah. By using a blockchain, you're, you would be, you know, basically, you know, that vote would be, you know, once it's cast, there would be no doubt that it had been cast and that it had been counted. And, you know, you would, you, you would structure it in a way that the content of the vote wouldn't be connected to, you know, anything that could trace back to the exact, you know, to the actual individual who, who, who voted. But, you know, that would give us the security that, uh, that votes are being correctly counted and that uh, every vote is actually being counted. See, I like that. And I wanted to highlight for our listeners, because we've had other guests on Business Creators Radio Show that have explained blockchain in very simple terms as being basically that same thing. It's the idea that data is stored in an encrypted way on hundreds, if not thousands of computers asynchronously in different places around the world. So if you wanted to hack data, you would have to find a way to simultaneously hack four, five, or six digits numbers, you know, number of computers all at the same time to change that data because of the way it crosses and encrypts and everything else. So I wanted to make sure I highlight that for our listeners since you brought up the analogy. Yeah, that's right. And that is, in a nutshell, what makes the technology so useful for so many different real-world problems. Right. You know, so, I'm looking right now at the stats just right as we're talking, and, and market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies right now as we're talking is over $375 billion in digital assets that are you know, being traded you know, as we speak. That wow. is... Yeah, it's a, it's a very big amount of money right now that are in and, and compared to equities and other, you know, markets, it's still small, but, uh, but it does have a, a, a very, you know, it is this, we're not talking about peanuts here. So when we talk about, you know, using and leveraging, I mean, just as a business, as a business owner, just the, the, the very first step is being able to accept, uh, you know, cryptocurrency as payment in your business. Uh, and, you know, all of that money that's out there is looking for places to go. It's looking for people are looking for ways to spend it. They're, they're, you know, it's, it's liquid, it's, uh, it's available. And if you're the only company in your market that's, you know, that's open to that, you've got an advantage. Uh, and, you know, so that's just starting at the, at the very, you know, at the very bottom of the scale. And then we can just go up and up and up to find ways to leverage this technology to make your business better, to make it more efficient, and to actually use it to, to do things that solve these problems. I mean, wouldn't you, Adam, prefer to be the owner of your health information all about you and you could control who was accessing it? And, you know, if you changed doctors, it would just be grant access to this doctor, you know, revoke access to this doctor. Wouldn't that be better than driving your car to their office and getting a big folder full of paper documents and carrying them to the next office and sending them an authorization and a fax and a, you know, all of these things that, you know, just because you want to get another opinion. I mean, 
that is something that we could easily do uh, with blockchain technology that would make healthcare so much more efficient. It would make it more secure for people. And, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll be honest, as, as an American who lives abroad right now, uh, the absolute craziness of the inefficiency of the U.S. healthcare system is it, people should be up in arms. I mean, it, it is so ridiculously poorly managed. Uh, and, you know, it, it's done so much better in other parts of the world, and we just don't realize it. And, you know, this is, this, these are technologies that we could take and leverage and leapfrog and be ahead again of, of the rest of the world. And, you know, it's just a question of, of having the, the entrepreneurs, the cryptopreneurs actually doing this and making it real. Well, this is something that I've also gotten into on other episodes of Business Creators Radio. Uh, one thing that I tend to look at with a lot of scrutiny, and I, and I don't necessarily mean as being positive scrutiny, is any attempt to say, uh, well, we have to compare America to other countries to do it so much better. All right, so you can take something like socialized medicine or universal health care, whatever label you want to put on it, and you can make it work in some small country in Europe. That's great. And Europe, I know, has a lot of small countries. In fact, uh, once we can get back over there, I think I'm going to follow through on my plan to take a tour of all the European microstates to find out how they managed to survive the reunification movements of the 19th century. And uh, Dennis, you know, you live uh, in a country that borders on one of those microstates I plan to visit. You can take uh, some place like the Principality of Andorra and you can do something like that there because uh, I don't have in front of me, they have what, like 100,000 people and their entire landmass isn't even the size of Las Vegas or something like that. Uh, you're dealing with a small, you know, a small area, small population, uh, relatively homogenous society. The United States is one of the very few countries in the world that is unique and that it is many nations within a state. It is huge. It has different populations, different cultures, different dialects of a language, a diversity of talent, background, culture, and resources that are not seen anywhere else in the world. So to simply say Slovenia can do it, so so can we, doesn't match. That being said... Yeah. I agree with you that, wow, our cost. You could, you could look at any, you could look at Europe as a whole. Look at it from one side. It's bigger than the U.S. in terms of population. Uh, you know, one of the things that people don't realize, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm right now talking to you from Spain. Spain yeah, has universal health care. It's right. not a small country. But that doesn't mean that there's not private health care at the same time in Spain. It, right. the, the people sell these things in the U.S. as if it's a it's a one or the other option, and that's not the way it has to be. Uh, you know, I'm with you I on that. Private, I'm with you on that. I, yeah. I, I have you know I have private health care here in Spain, and I have public health care here in Spain, and I'm covered by both. And 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 both of them, you know, the public health care is absolutely free, and the private health care, uh, you know, private insurance, which you know, sure, it's nicer. You get a better hospital room. You know, you get attended faster. These things are, are great. I pay a fraction of what we paid for 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 similar coverage in the U.S. This so was the second not, part of my thought. You know, it's not uh, the the arguments that you hear in the American media are not real. You can have both. They can work together and. 
any way you look at it, healthcare in the U.S. is done absolutely miserably poorly. There's, yeah, candidly, there's not a lot about the United States media that is real. And I'll say that out loud to somebody that works in the United States media. Um, Our biggest issue is the cost factor driven by inefficiency, in my opinion. So we can, uh, we can debate which healthcare system we should have, and we can make a new one and name it after whoever's currently the president or what have you. But we're not going to get very far until we deal with the cost issue and the inefficiency issue. I believe we're beginning to make a tiny little dent with telemedicine, but I remember just a year ago having it cost me almost $2,000 to find out that, yes, I had cellulitis uh, flare-ups in my leg for the 19th time, uh, which requires a very simple antibiotic prescription. And getting my vitals tested three times in three different places within one hour when I already know what's wrong here. I need a goddamn antibiotic that will make this go away. Uh, but the issue was I was supposed to be flying within 24 hours. So somebody pointed out the microfractional possibility that it might be a blood clot, even though I know I have recurring cellulitis and all I needed was my antibiotic prescription refilled. Had my vitals tested three times in one hour. Had the same set of evaluations. Two grand for it. Yes. Yeah. And and, oh, and when I and and, you know you mentioned privacy and things like that. Uh, I got dragged to an emergency room over this a cellulitis flare up, which is a very common thing among people of a certain age, Uh, (laughs) and especially the one where it happens in the lower right leg. That's an extremely common thing that hits a lot of middle aged people. And. And having the receptionist ask me questions like, uh, what gender was I born under? What's my sexual orientation? Which I kept responding, none of your business, none of your business, none of your business, none of your business, because it has nothing to do with my treatment. And, uh, and then I mentioned, hey, hey by the way, uh, where's the John? And having her try and hand me a cup and say, oh, since you're, since you're going to the bathroom, uh, let's uh, do a urine sample. And I said, Put that thing down. Put that thing down, and don't even try and make me touch it. I saw what you tried to do. You wanted me to get my fingerprints on that urine sample so you could turn around and bill me for one, whether I piss in it or not. <laughs> what I have just expressed in a very rampant, very even vitriolic way is not only the frustrations, but the fears people have, like. If I touch the urine sample cup, they're going to turn around and say that I say that they did an analysis, even if I didn't use it. That's a, that's a real should, concern I mean, that people have. Maybe the question here is, should they be financially incentivized to do extra urine samples that aren't useful just to make more money? Gee, and, you think? <laughs> yeah, you know, and does that, who, in whose mind does that make sense? And it only happens in in our country. I'm sorry to tell you, it doesn't happen in other places. Uh, And it doesn't happen because doctors aren't incentivized to, you know, the the laboratories aren't incentivized to do tests just to get more money. Yeah. Uh, You know, they're there to make the test to see if you're sick or not. And it, it, it kind of is just a, and, and I'm a capitalist. I'm, I, I promise you I'm as capitalist as you are, Adam. Yeah. But there makes no sense whatsoever to turn keeping people healthy into a way to make money. 
It, right. that, it just doesn't make sense. And, and it's not done anywhere else in the world on the scale that it's done in the U.S. And it's just because the whole system is, is just backwards. Right. And it's, it's poorly thought out. Now, 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 finishing my thought here and tying this back to uh, blockchain and crypto and things like that, uh, I gave the example of it costing me $2,000 to find out what I already knew and have a bunch of invasive questions asked of me that uh, I told them candidly were none of their damn business, and then having them try to slip in uh, something else they could bill me for. I mean, uh, for every one of me that said, I didn't ask, uh, how do I submit a urine sample? I asked, where's the John? You can imagine there are 20 other people that just took that cup because they wanted to cooperate and go along yeah, and, uh, sure. and, ju and, just, and just prostrate themselves to the idea of getting billed hundreds of dollars for additional services uh, to further exacerbate a system that's been blown out, you know, blown out of the roof um, through costs. And you pointed out, and I'm glad you did this, that's where we got started on this, that the use of blockchain uh, for protection and transfer of medical records could be a great way of reducing costs. I want to compare this, finishing my point, to uh, since that time that I ended up paying $2,000 to find out what I already knew, uh, the cellulitis has hit me one more time since then. It's actually gone down. I hope it's gone forever. Like, uh, like when I was 23 and I just stopped getting strep throat. I hope it's gone. But anyway, uh, the last time I had it, I was in Las Vegas and I didn't have to fly anywhere. And I knew that this time nobody's going to especially after that incident, nobody's going to push me around. So all I needed was my script refilled. There's this thing called telemedicine. And mm -hmm. I downloaded an app on my phone. Uh, I punched in my medical insurance number. And then what happened is I waited in queue for five minutes. They, uh, uh, some sort of medical professional with prescription authority came on the line. Uh, she asked me to turn on my webcam and point it at my leg so she could verify what I knew because she had to see it and you have to perform some sort of diagnosis. She could see the, the swelling and the little spots on it that indicate the cellulitis. And I, I just had to sit there for three minutes while she gave me the usual lecture about seeing a doctor. And then she told me, uh, all right, so you told me you told me you wanted to pick it up from such and such pharmacy that's near you. Wait 10 minutes, go down and I'll have it ready for you. 20 bucks. Yeah, and the, and the beautiful part is we were having video conversations where we were exchanging medical information. They, we were transmitting data, uh, image data of a medical condition. And I like to think that something like blockchain was behind that, helping to encrypt it and helping to protect the security of it. I'd like to think it's there. And if it's not there, I'd like to see it there. Yeah, I agree. It, it probably isn't yet, but it should be. Yeah so, yeah, so imagine being able to take that and apply that to so many situations where we already know what's wrong. Like, I don't need $2,000 a test to tell me that the cellulitis came back. Uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, if you have that issue, uh, unless it's the debilitating type, usually just your annual physical where you have the cardiac and everything else checked out, that takes care of the blood clot issue uh, because it's very rarely that anyway. Uh, and so imagine if we could increase people's faith in these types of getting diagnosis and getting prescriptions 
that could reduce these ridiculous costs. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's, an area, that's an area where a, you and I agree. Yeah, and and then being able to use the data from this to you know in, in a to to for for example to do follow follow the the use of certain you know prescriptions that are that could be abused or could be you know and have a have a you know a, a good record of you know what doctors are prescribing what medicines and and, and there's just an unlimited source of you know of of utility that could come from having uh, you know, this data, you know, on the blockchain in a secure way where the data, your private data belongs to you. Because yep. the truth is, is that your data right now belongs to your doctor. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to, and it's spread out in, in a gazillion different places and it's not correlated and it's in different systems and different formats. And, you know, it, it's just a mess and we pay for that mess. So why not, you know, get things in order and use these tools, just, you know, like you're saying, telemedicine is another example of using technology to solve a problem. Well, this is just uh, another example of how to do that uh, and, you know, make the world a better place for all of us. Yeah, uh, you, you bring up one other final, final point to this is a concern in the medical profession about people double or even triple dipping on their prescriptions. So they want to get more of a certain drug. They see three doctors with the same ailment or same uh, imagined ailment. They get three of the same prescription. They get it filled three different places. Now they have three times as much of the script they're supposed to have. When they run low, they find my, more doctors to issue more prescriptions. So if we had a way of securely and efficiently transmitting this information in a way that we own the data and people who access it, who need to access it, uh, it would be a lot easier for the medical profession to be able to track if so-and-so is going out and getting five different doctors to give them the same script. Uh, yeah. Where I get my passion on this one is, uh, this was maybe 15 years ago almost, I got a minor case of plantar fasciitis, I think is what they said it was. It, it might have been something else. I don't know. But the idea was I had a severe pain in my ankle to the point where I hadn't slept for two days. That's how bad the pain was. No over-the-counter painkiller could deal with it. So what do I do? I go to an emergency room. It's a, it's a really bad pain. And uh, they gave the prescription of what it was. Basically, there's some sort of ailments or something. Uh, maybe it was a slight injury. I can't remember, but it's the type of thing where um, a week of a certain medication would take care of it. And I had this physician's assistant who, rather than writing the script, uh, started interrogating me, trying to, quote unquote, prove that I was a drug addict. Hmm. Now, wow. if we had efficient and properly encrypted data transmission, I could have said, look, pal, first of all, you're not the real doctor, get the real doctor down here. Second of all, go to your little computer and look me up and you're gonna see, I haven't gotten a prescription for anything in at least four years. So uh, you can take your drug addict narrative and you can stick it someplace and you can write me the damn script now. In that yeah, case, I, yeah. in that case, we actually did have to have the real doctor come out of her office and come down and deal with the situation because I was getting tired of this little pipsqueak uh, trying to get in the way. It's like, I'm there because I have really bad pain. I didn't come to the emergency room for a, a paper cut. And again, a casual glance at my medical history will show you I don't just run to the hospital every time I wake up with a cold. 
Yeah, there you are. So yeah, that is. Then if uh, we have, if we have the data to back that up, we could. I mean, it's just that little story I told you. You're probably thinking, oh, there's probably about five different ways we could have cut costs out of that. Oh yeah, certainly. You, you certainly. saw it. You saw it just mm -hmm. as I did. All that being said, um, and maybe this is an inhibitor, and this might be a great place for us to to bring this home. Uh, you've mentioned that all the same, you're not all that enthusiastic about some of the young blockchain CEOs. Why is that? And how do we overcome that or do something about it so that we can start fixing our health system, our voting system and everything else uh, using these technologies and also use it as a way to uh, get more access to capital for entrepreneurs and business creators? Well, you know, the, the, and, and, and kind of the reason behind that, uh, that bullet point is, is, is it's a little tongue in cheek, but if you look at, you know, I, I, I often say, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg has done more damage to, uh, to our, you know, capitalist society than probably any other person in the, in the history of humanity. And it's, okay. it has nothing to do with Facebook. Um, you know, and Facebook, you know, you can have your, there's the, there's the good sides and bad sides to every argument, but, uh, and, and hats off to the, 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 the system that he was able to build, but he also created a mythology and he created this mythology of the young, you know, in the, in the dorm room, creating this new disruptive technology that, you know, changes everything. And, you know, it, it, it's created this, this symbol that that is the, that is who should be running and leading, you know, entrepreneurial projects, and they should all be in hands of, you know, 20 year olds. And it, it, it's just not reality. I mean, the truth is, is that most businesses are successful and they, uh, because the, you know, the, their owners and the entrepreneurs have gone through the school of hard knocks and they've learned their lessons and they've, they've made money, they've lost money, they've made, made some more money. And that, that experience and that, that entrepreneurial, you know, mindset uh, is much more valuable than being a, you know, uh, a 24 year old pipsqueak CEO in quotes with a big idea. And so that's kind of the, the reason I say that we need entrepreneurs that not only have technological savvy, but they also have real business savvy. And so, uh, you know, I think that hats off to Mark Zuckerberg for having built Facebook, but we shouldn't think that that is the model uh, of what most businesses are and how they should be run. Yeah, I think you, I think you do raise a point about that. Uh, and to me, uh, folks like Zuckerberg in some ways are an anomaly. True and factually that many of your industry changing entrepreneur types are those outliers, those young folks or those really crazy folks, sometimes the young and crazy who come up with an idea that just gets positioning at a certain time and manages to take off. But I've been around long enough to remember my space. And, yeah. I rem and I remember when Facebook was one of those things that they're saying, well, if you're not on Facebook, you're not in business. And I'm thinking another social network that I'm going to have to create a profile for and take a course about how to make money on. And then three months later, people are going to stop using it. Let's all remember Facebook was that thing a decade ago. Sure. Sure. Well, and now let's remember that we are actually the product that Facebook sells. Yeah. 
That's yeah, that that that's a thing, and uh, that's another thing I like to remind people that if uh, that if you're not paying for it, you're the product. And we are definitely that is you know they have they have built an amazing marketing machine as a marketer. I can you know I I definitely know the insides of Facebook uh, and and the power that it has as a marketing engine. Um, but from a consumer point of view. Uh, why should Mark Zuckerberg be making money every time I share a picture of my puppy? You know, he's, I'm sure I'm taking the picture. It's my puppy and he's making the money. Uh, something isn't quite right about that model. You're yeah. Um, and I don't want to turn this in this whole thing into a conversation about, uh, their advertising platform. But <laughs> I, I, you already, know, you already know what I'm getting at. I tried to be their customer, and that's another case where I was. I mean, uh, I mean, my bank trying to get a loan and trying to use a Facebook advertising program are probably uh, two of the very few cases where I failed to be a, to uh, get along with a, a company that insisted on treating me like a criminal for having the temerity to want to use their services and give them money in exchange thereof. <laughs> well, it was just know, awful. Yeah, it is. And, 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 the, and the sad thing is, is that, uh, you know, uh, too many, too many businesses have been taught that that's the place to be and they pour money into it and it doesn't actually give them back what they, what they want. So you may have come out uh, ahead in the long run by just not using it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we've had folks, uh, great people as guests on business creators radio, who've shared with us Facebook advertising strategies and every single one of those episodes, and they're all great episodes come with a disclaimer from me that I will sooner lobotomize myself with a butter knife than ever give a dime to that advertising platform. Cause they don't know how to treat their customers. That being said, <laughs> I will provide the resources and connections to great experts for those who do want to, I'm, I'm just only speaking for myself. Uh, yeah. And I, and when you look at, like for example, Facebook's platform uh, and their community standards and all the things that people do on Facebook that violate community standards. I actually had some person just come out of the blue who I'd never met and write really vicious things about me because I expressed an opinion on my friend's, uh, on my friend's uh, post wrote really nasty stuff. And the fact that I was actually able to get their so-called community standards experts to find that the person who wrote that stuff had in fact bullied and harassed me and took his post down, I use as an example of how egregiously nasty the person was. Because most of the <laughs> time they won't. And believe me, one of those things yeah, one of the things yeah. I reported was a video of a live cat being beheaded. And they said that did not violate their community standards. Gosh, that's crazy. So, uh, so, crazy, so and, and you know what the best part is? When you look at the so-called Facebook ad reviewers and we look at the so-called community standards reviewers, in many cases, you're not dealing with human beings. You're dealing with bots. Yeah, yeah, almost always. Almost yeah. always. So that's why, that's, and, I, and when I found that out, I discovered it's really not worth getting all that set over because you're probably not even dealing with a human being. So when somebody, so when you get a response on your reports or your attempt to run an ad and you're asking what nature of human being comes up with this garbage, well, probably not even a human being. So I, I think that goes yeah. back to your point about how when we look at things like Facebook and uh, 
and things, you know, those types of technological organizations, it can sort of curb your enthusiasm a bit about some of the, uh, about some of the, you know, organizations and that can translate over to blockchain CEOs. So I agree that uh, we do have some work to do and what I was, I, and I, I hope we did for our listeners here and an entertaining and a, you know, a couple times jump up in your seat and say, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, he did sort of way is it uh, help you understand that there are huge opportunities for crypto entrepreneurship that can do things like sol you know, help solve the issues with the costs in our healthcare, which, uh, you know, you've seen two different divergence opin divergent opinions about uh, the healthcare system with the area of agreement being the cost is the issue. Uh, you saw different opinions about um, our voting system with agreement that uh, security through blockchain could be a way of addressing everybody's concerns. And you also saw how the use of cryptocurrency and blockchain can also democratize the availability of investment funds uh, to business creators who up until now have been shut out of a traditional system that makes decisions about whether or not you should receive a loan based on whether they feel that you should be in their little club and actively picks winners. So to that's me, it's it. a great thing in three ways. And uh, that's what I wanted to highlight. Now, Dennis, we're right here at the top of the hour. I do want to give people a, a moment to, if they're interested in discovering more about crypto entrepreneurship, ICO success, which is an initial coin offering, and uh, a little bit about learning more about you too. If you could do this, uh, respond to this in two ways. First of all, tell us just a little bit about your book and where they can get it and how and what can somebody look forward to when they reach out to you? Yeah, so the book is Behold the Cryptopreneurs. Behold the Cryptopreneurs. It's on Amazon. You can get it in Kindle version. You can get it in paper version. Um, it's, uh, it, the purpose is to try and take these topics and make them fun and engaging, but uh, explanatory in a way that you can, any entrepreneur can grab it and, and get the idea and understand. Yeah. Um, I'm on the different platforms. You can find me at Dennis H. Lewis. Uh, anybody interested can go to cryptopreneurs.club. That's cryptopreneurs.club and you can get the first four chapters of the book for free. And um, yeah, feel free, anybody that wants more information to look me up, reach out uh, and uh, do my best to help them out. Awesome, awesome. And I do want to point out your uh, websites again, icosuccess.com, which is the initial coin offering thing, and cryptotradernews.com, which is something that, uh, you know, it's a pretty good news website and has a lot of great information about the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency. So if you're looking to explore mo more about crypto entrepreneurship, this website does a great job of synthesizing and correlating news on a variety of subtopics, a few of which we covered in this very wide ranging and in my opinion, fun interview. So uh, I just wanna say, Dennis Lewis, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Uh, thank you, Adam. I've had a good time. It was fun uh, and I uh, really enjoyed it. We trust you've today enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you, including this one. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.